Hi, good afternoon. Welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm Mary Fran Johnson, your host for the program today and CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media. Twice a month, we produce this video show and podcast with the generous support of my friends at CIO.com and the CIO Executive Council. We're streaming live to you right now on LinkedIn and our CIO channel on YouTube. And we encourage any of our viewers who are with us for today's program to join in the conversation with some questions of your own. Our editors are watching the, the chat on both LinkedIn and YouTube, and we'll pass along those questions directly to my esteemed guest today, who is Shannon Gath, the CIO of Teradyne. Shannon joined Teradyne in April of 21, charged with leading the company's IT organization, including all of its customer-facing digital systems, internal technologies, and information security. Based in North Reading, Massachusetts, Teradyne is a $3.7 billion company employing 6,500 worldwide. It's a Fortune 1000 firm that provides advanced testing equipment technologies for market innovators such as those producing smart devices, semiconductors, medical equipment, and data storage systems. Teradyne's robotics division provides collaborative and mobile robots to the manufacturing sector as well. Shannon got to Teradyne with more than 25 years of IT leadership experience in public and privately held companies across technology, life sciences, and financial service industries. Before her current role, she was the CIO at Amag Pharmaceuticals, and before that, a VP and Chief of Staff for Enterprise Technologies at Fidelity Investments. Shannon is very well-known and admired in the Boston-area CIO community and beyond. This year, she was named Boston CIO of the Year by the, in the Enterprise category of the Orbi Awards. And most recently, just a few weeks ago, she was named Mid-Cap CIO of the Year by HMG Strategy. In her board work outside of Teradyne, Shannon serves on the board for Women's Money Matters, a nonprofit that's dedicated to helping low-income women and girls build financial literacy and security. And most recently, she joined the board for SustainableIT.org, which is another nonprofit and committed to advancing global sustainability through technology leadership. Uh, like, like myself, Shannon is a very big believer in all the good work you can do as an IT leader. Shannon, thanks for joining me today in our studio. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Mary Fran. I'm thrilled to be here. Good, good. <laughs> we love having people come in. Um, tell us about, uh, let's start out talking about Teradyne's business because it's a very, it's a big and relatively complex business and it's different customer segments. Um, how, how the business has been doing and how the customers are adapting to these last challenging few years we've all been going through. Yeah, so Teradyne um, has two major divisions. One is um, automated testing for electronics the other is um, industrial automation. So uh -huh. things like collaborative robots and um, automated mobile robots. Yeah. Um, 
with the pandemic over the last few years, Teradyne has become even more relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that we we found ourselves in in a position where we were dependent on manual labor um, to be able to embrace these automated technologies will really help um, companies become more resilient. So yeah. um, Teradyne as a whole of the last few years has done really, really well um, because there's just a, a huge tailwind pushing in that direction. Great. Yeah. Well, and I know that uh, you've been with the company now for two and a half years. Yeah. And but when you arrived there, was there already a strategy for technology across the enterprise or was that part of your marching orders coming in? Yeah, yeah there wasn't a defined enterprise technology strategy when I first joined there. Um, at the point in time they were looking to hire a CIO, I would say there was a shift in the um, executive team mm-hmm. where they wanted to really think differently about IT. I wouldn't have joined Teradyne um, had there not been that opening because the leadership team really understood that technology should be a strategic enabler for the company and right. not just a service provider. And I think historically it, it has been more of a service provider. Okay. So with me coming in, um, I brought that experience with me and they really embraced me as part of the leadership team to really drive in a new direction. Okay. And with the leadership team, we were able to build a multi-year enterprise tech strategy based on all the different business areas underneath the Teradyne umbrella mm-hmm. so that we knew for every dollar we had to spend on technology, we were fully aligned on what's the best way to get there. Now, was that the sort of strategy that you were already um, already underway at Amag Pharmaceuticals? Oh, I mean, um, business to business, they're so different. So, they are, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. because it, it really isn't about technology. It's, a, it's about the business. So what we did, mm-hmm. you know, I personally interviewed interviewed over a hundred different leaders at Teradyne and dove deeply into where they were, what their growth aspirations were, what mm-hmm. capabilities were going to be required in order to get to those growth aspirations. And then we aligned on the technology investments that would build to those capabilities. Okay. So it's it's so unique and different company to company. They're yeah. really not the same. Was that like a first 90 days strategy? If you can remember all the way back to April of 21, interviewing 100 people takes a while. I happen to know that. (laughs) Um, So I I would say it's two separate efforts. I think my first 90 days was really focused on what's the strategy for the IT organization. And Mm -hmm. in the first 90 days working with the the leadership team, we built like a three-year transformation of the IT team itself. In order for the IT team to become strategic enablers, we had to restructure the team. Mm -hmm. We had to put in IT. We had a lot of different things um, from a people process and technology perspective that we would need to move towards over the next three years. Separately was an investment to really do an enterprise tech strategy um, once we kind of understood who the IT organization was, where we're going to go, and put the right leaders in place Mm -hmm. to be able to drive that type of um, comprehensive enterprise technology strategy. Well, and I know we're going to dive deeper into that restructure and what the team is like and all, but when you think about kind of then and now, Mm. what are the kind of capabilities the tech organization has become most known for on the business side of Teradyne? Yeah, I I think the biggest change is that um, technology leaders now have a seat at the table, um, Mm -hmm. and they've been embraced into the various leadership teams for each of the business Uh, units. So that, to me, is the biggest, and there's a lot to it. There's a reason they're they're welcomed at the table, Mm -hmm. and and part of it is how do you collaborate with those business areas to help be part of the the business strategy development. Yeah, well, and we're not just talking about one table, are we? 
that's right. I mean, yeah, all, that's right. A lot of times when people say the seat at the table, they're thinking C-suite and mm. all the CIOs and C, you know, the C-suite yeah. colleagues. But you actually ended up putting these leaders at tables in all the different business units. Yes, okay. yes, absolutely. Because they're just so different. Their growth aspirations are different. They need different technologies in order to be successful. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, I mentioned earlier, I said something about your marching orders coming in. Um, the, uh, and obviously, you've had it underway now for two plus years. But was there something very specific that the leadership wanted to see out of it? It's great to have an innate strategic thinking tech organization yep. but that sounds almost esoteric when you think about the day-to-day -day ways that business runs yeah I, you know I, I I think there was a um, understanding that technology can drive competitive advantage yes. and then I think they were looking for a leader that came with that experience to okay. help build that um, in, in in parallel with the rest of the team okay uh, yeah um, let me ask you about um, not digital transformation, because as you know, when we talked earlier, you pointed out that that has become such a hackneyed phrase. But I have taken to asking CIOs, what does digital business mean in your particular industry? I mean, we're all online and everybody's using various digital products. But is there anything uh, um, amazingly different now about the way digital business is running at Teradyne or a direction that you're heading in? Yeah, I just think um, for the most part, we are looking for um, robust, scalable, flexible solutions that are going to scale with the company okay. and unlock, you know, revenue for growth, address risk across the board, and mm -hmm. all of that becomes a digital transformation at the end of the day. But it, it's very um, specific mm -hmm. and, and, you know, um, early benefits um, driven. Okay. Can you give me an example of something that very specifically brought about a benefit? Uh, well, so I would say our journey uh, moving towards sort of a global one cloud ERP is going to be the biggest one that I, you know, uh, I'm going to see in my tenure. I can't imagine anything okay. much bigger than that because you can think of all the financial, the operations groups, all, all of their business process, processes are grounded in this single platform. Yes. That will be probably our biggest transformation. How many platforms are you going to have to melt? together on this? There are four. <laughs> well, uh, you're lucky. I've actually talked with some who have said, well, let me see. We have 14 different ERP systems. Because Teradyne is big. You've got 6,500 people around the world. Right. Uh, you could end up with a whole lot of small divisions running their own financial systems on a different platform and that sort of thing. Yeah. Do you feel lucky that it's only four? <laughs> Or yes, no, no yes, no. <laughs> um, I'm not bored. <laughs> no, no, I imagine not. I imagine not. Now, do you appoint like a, how do you, let's talk about how you approach finding and uh, arriving at a global ERP platform. You're in the early stages of it now. So you're basically kind of sussing out what you need to do. Yeah, but I, yeah. I would say it started with the enterprise technology strategy oh, because it was very mm -hmm. comprehensive and we looked at everything, including current state assessment. Like where did we have risk in mm -hmm. all the capabilities across the company and the underlying platforms and then figuring out what are the highest priority risk areas yeah. and then putting investment towards that in our, our midterm planning. Okay. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Um, to, I, you do, you get out in the industry 
a good deal. I yeah. mean, even even during the times of the pandemic, you've been on panels, you've done a lot of Zoom uh, <laughs> meetings, that sort of thing. What would you say are some of the common problems that you run into that other your CIO peers are solving or or are highest on their priority list? And it could be in your own industry, but it's more likely to be a mix of industries. Yeah, I mean, I think we all have the the challenges of getting towards um, modern technology, but those are yeah. kind of table stakes for CIOs. I yeah. would say the most relevant one right now is generative AI. Um, you know, yes. I recently went to the Rue Institute, um, which is, you know, part of Northeastern, really doing deep dives with, I think it was 30 different CIOs from the Boston area, just trying wow. to understand generative AI. Yes. And, you know, as part of that engagement, they asked, you know, all the CIOs, like, would you like to be on a panel? And yeah, I think all of us said no, because... All of us are still in learning mode. We're trying to understand it. So I think yeah. the biggest challenge people are faced with, there's huge upside around productivity gains um, mm -hmm. by leveraging that technology, but it comes with balancing the risk to the organization. And some of these technologies are still not mature yet. So really understanding that um, is is key right now right. Um, because you want the your organization and your company to benefit as much as possible from that. Go for a competitive advantage, but certainly not at the, the risk of you know hurting the company in some way. Well, yeah, and, and that's the thing about um I don't I can't remember the last time we saw this much positive buzz mm. around a big new phenomenon like yeah. Gen AI. I'd love to say it was maybe blockchain, but I can remember trying to get CIOs to be from financial industries, especially yeah. to come and be on a panel and talk about blockchain and nobody would do it. Yeah. You know, it was all like, no, we're playing with it in the lab, but it's a technology looking for a reason to be. And and when you and I talked about this earlier, you said you thought that the one of the reasons behind this big, huge buzz was the natural language uh, capabilities mm -hmm. of these AI systems. Right. What has um, what came out of the Rue Institute discussion that you had with the other CIOs? I know everybody's in learning mode, but were yeah. there any aha moments around that where you thought, yes, that could be useful to us? Well, uh, you know, I'll start by saying, you know, I've certainly been in organizations where we're looking at blockchain and things like that. But there's mm -hmm. a limited amount of people that benefit from that. And certainly more indu some That's industries benefit from mm -hmm. it more than anything. Yeah. But generative AI, everybody benefits from. Uh -huh. um, but I think the big takeaway for me from the Rue Institute um, was more that... Generative AI is not magic. <laughs> that's a good point. That's and if you think point. it's magic, that's probably a problem. But um, <laughs> but it really, it's just software at the end of the day. And sure, it's a little bit more complicated in the architecture. So that's, it's having yeah. some early challenges. But you know, my my take on it is your vendors that learn how to leverage generative AI in meaningful ways for their customers yes. and protect them are going to be the ones that win. And I think what CIO should be doing right now is, you know, when you make product decisions right now, it mm -hmm. should be also evaluating that vendor on whether or not they're in it for the long term and whether or not uh, they're going to have that level of engagement and openness with you to help them yeah. uh, help them communicate to you, like how do they air gap your company from having some sort of uh, risk associated with, you know, data uh, or anything else that, you know, could hurt the company. That's a great point. That is a great point. The How are you approaching, uh, and you don't have to name names on the vendors, but how are you approaching these kind of discussions? Is it is it essentially an extended discussion about the advanced data enterprise, enterprise data strategy, or is it always like a separate box for the gen AI stuff? Well, I would say um, there... 
there's a huge appetite by all groups across our company around mm. generative AI and what it can do for their team. So we actually oh, have okay. organically built a cross-functional team of people that are, you know, basically the steering committee of that, making oh, sure we have awesome. strong policies in place, yeah. and then also making sure we're sharing learnings from other areas, something that worked really well in one space, sharing it with another area of the company yeah. that they could embrace it in a similar fashion. So there's oh. a lot of community sharing across the, the groups, oh, which I think is yeah. um, very, very helpful. Um, and, you know, I think the, the the mindset that we have is not shutting it all down and, until we figure it out. Yeah. It's, you know, how do you take some level of risk with precaution mm-hmm. um, to allow some level of the productivity games with, with managing the risks, so okay. to speak. But I, you know, one of the companies that um, branded, uh, Microsoft branded Copilot. And okay. what I like about that branding is it's not meant to not have a human involved with it, right? It shouldn't be just yeah. something that runs off on its own. All of the generative AI requires like human collaboration, verification. You know, a lot of these companies are getting smarter about watermarking sources so that, yeah, you, you know, you that. take out the mystery mm-hmm. of it, so to speak, and, and <laughs> demystify that magic that, you know, some people yeah. fall victim well, to. Well, it's magic to some, but it's evil magic to others. <laughs> I mean, it can look to entire groups of, I've seen, you know, notes in like uh, some of the places where I've had conversations with people where they say, well, nobody's going to need editors anymore and, and you know you get this clutchy feeling in your throat thinking well you know it's like saying nobody needs libraries anymore <laughs> well I, well, I would say if um, sitting in the CIO seat one of the things that we always deal with in terms of cyber risk is phishing campaigns yeah um, that's a big risk to it's every organization example. and now the capabilities of chat GBT where it used to be you could see an email was misspelled and it didn't seem right that it was clearly phishing yeah it's becoming harder and harder to t- detect that oh do you find um, it sounds like do you have do you have products that are actually in production in use in people's hands right now at Teradyne or is is this still pretty much in the kicking tires in committees kind of phase? Yeah, we've we've launched a few different capabilities. Um, we're mm-hmm. piloting a ton of different things because there's yeah. so many different um, technologies out there with different benefits. We're trying everything, and then the things oh. that are going to be successful, we'll we'll run with as best we can. The group really, you know, the whole company I feel like collaborates really well across the board. Yeah, um, and they're very giving and generous and sharing with each other so mm-hmm. that the whole company can succeed. So. Yeah. Well, and that actually makes me want to pivot into talking about the company culture sure. at Teradyne, because I know that's one of the, the the big deciding factors for you when you joined. Um, how, what is what is so great and what is so different about the company culture you're experiencing at Teradyne? Because you've worked in financial services, you've been in pharma. Those are tough regulated industries. <laughs> and this is, it seems like you're having more fun. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> find it to be the the perfect culture for me personally. And I was yeah. very drawn to Teradyne um, and very fortunate that this position was open. Um, for me, you know, I'm an engineering background. So my, deg- my degree is in mechanical, mechanical engineering. engineering. And yeah. we're very much a data decision-making company, um, right. which plays very well to an engineer. There's not all the politics and all that. We're like highly functioning data decision-making. And that's where I thrive. And I think a yeah. lot of other people do. I've seen different environments that have a level of toxicity that just gets in their own way of doing things. And, mm-hmm. and as long as we have the right data to support a good business case, we move forward. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it's a easy environment for people to, to thrive in. And I mean, okay. I've never seen such tenures in my life. I have somebody on my team with 46 years in the company. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. 
And the company was only set up in 1960. Yeah. So it's what, 65 years old? Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. So it's it's amazing. People don't leave Teradyne. Um, oh. They just really um, enjoy the culture, the people. And um, mm-hmm. my husband actually worked for Teradyne a long time ago. Um, and I knew oh. a lot of the people from Teradyne back in those days. Oh, neat. And um, they're still there. Oh, wow. <laughs> So I also knew that, you know, um, part of what makes your job enjoyable is the people around you. And and the Teradyne family is a great place to be. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Let's um, pivot back over and talk about business and tech priorities. Thinking ahead to 24 and beyond, since you're going to stay forever, right? (laughs) Um, What do you find now that you've accomplished the things you've accomplished in the last two and a half years and gotten you to where you are now? What is next for the tech organization? and how, and I know it'll be partnered with the business priorities. So what's high on the priority list? Yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. every CIO is going to keep cyber on the top of the list. Um, I think we Mm -hmm. have a lot of work that we're doing um, in terms of growing the the organizations on the robotic side. It's a high growth market. Um, So there's a lot of things in sort of the the CRM space and um, trying to unlock revenue through the service organization and Mm -hmm. and whatnot. So there's a lot of work going on in that space. Um, We are dealing with some of the operational risk on some of the legacy platforms. So modernizing that, I mentioned cloud ERP is probably going to be one of the biggest transformations that we we undergo yep. in the coming years. Yeah. Um, and and beyond that, I would say um, just learning how to um, best leverage generative AI to to really get a okay. competitive. Advantage. That really is very high on the yeah. priority list. That's yeah. that's cool. We've been saying that a lot in uh, there's there's article I think there's a couple of articles every day on cio.com mm. talking about different things about gen AI and what CIOs need to be doing and it sounds like despite all the buzz and the hype around it it is very real it right now. It is very real. So that, to me blockchain mm-hmm. wasn't as real in the sense of not yeah. As many people would touch it, right? But generative AI, everyone's touching Everybody almost is. on a daily basis. I yeah. think, and you know, one of the things that came up at the Rue Institute is they mm-hmm. were saying generative AI is not going to replace humans. Mm-hmm. Humans that leverage generative AI are going to replace humans that don't embrace generative AI, <laughs> oh which I thought was, made a lot of sense to me. It was. It was kind of this is the bandwagon, right. and you you want to get on it somewhere, right? You know? And so it's becoming hopefully a bigger and bigger. Well, it's making bandwagon. people more effective in their jobs. Yeah, yeah, I know, and replacing it. Editors, I keep hearing. So, ah. yeah. <laughs> Somebody else, you'd be t- talking to someone on Gen AI would be doing this conversation, right? <laughs> um, I, you'd mentioned legacy platforms mm. um, as a company that was established in 1960. You've probably got quite a bit of those, and you've got four different ERP systems now. Yep. How do you approach tech? Technology debt. I think that's a, a nicer way than talking about legacy systems. But tech debt is always, it's often right up there with cybersecurity and talent issues for CIOs. Well, I would just say technical debt is tied to cybersecurity. So I think some okay. of the investments yeah. that we've made in the last couple of years, because there's a lot of peer companies that got hit with ransomware and other things, the, the threat is real. Mm-hmm. Um, making sure we have a good handle on our operating environment is, yep. is critical. So understanding where we have vulnerabilities making sure we have a task team going after them on a you know a, the right um, timely manner um, that's all part of it and there's new platforms and systems that we've mm-hmm. embraced to help us see the cyber assets that we have in our environment what level of vulnerability and then we've mobilized ourselves to be able to you know continue to have a level of resiliency that we need okay okay we have a question from our alert watching yeah. audience and I think we've talked about a bit of this already about the big challenges you foresee with gen AI but it also 
mentions hiring talented people. Um, does that have an effect? Are you starting to look for deeper data management experience or anything related to Gen AI in your hiring efforts? Yeah, we actually just oh, posted wow. a role in, in, in that space. Did you? Um, okay. Because it's going to be critical for, for our company's yeah. success is to learn how to embrace that in the most thoughtful way possible. Yeah. Does that mean more data scientists or is there now another... I think machine learning, it's a collection of skill sets that we are trying to build into the team, I would say. And that's part of our tech strategy, understanding where you have those skill gaps Mm -hmm. and then how do you, you know, build the team going forward and then developing up. So, you know, you got a a team of people that are not stagnant in whatever technology they know. They want to learn, they want to grow um, and, you know, getting um, access to them to the the technology, the new technologies, trying it out. We do a lot with cloud and, mm-hmm. and other things. And there's a huge appetite from the team itself just to to understand them and like learn how to use them on a normal basis. And how do you supply that appetite? What do you do to make sure that that kind of lifelong learning is taken? Do you have a, a Teradyne and IT university? What's your <laughs> approach there? So we have a couple things. So I mm-hmm. would say um, we give certainly access to resources um, like learning development platforms and whatnot that the yeah. team can use as many, you know, or as few training opportunities that they want to in their niche areas. The other thing that we institutionalize as part of our IT journey is career development planning. So oh, everyone good. on the IT team has a formalized career development plan where we talk about like what type of work you find fulfilling, what, yeah. what don't you find fulfilling, because those are equally important conversations to have with your manager, where are your strengths, where are your development areas, mm-hmm. what are your sort of short-term, mid-term, and long-term goals, who yeah. are the key stakeholders stakeholders around you. Mm -hmm. And I think always making sure, and it's not about a document so much, um, but it's about a dialogue with your manager. Because what I found is the more of those discussions that come up when opportunities, um, you know, come up and say, there's this new project in the uh, security space, you can connect it to somebody on the team that really has articulated a desire Uh to be, so you're you're getting better engagement across the team. You're connecting opportunities with people that really want to grow in that space. So career development has been a, a big win for us. Yes. Well, and this is not necessarily new for you. I mean, you have done a lot of team career development throughout your tenure in other CIO roles. For instance, um, I I don't know our um, regular watchers of the show may remember that you were on the show back in January of 2019 (laughs) at AMI Pharmaceuticals. And I'm sure we talked about talent at the time as well. Um, What is the, um, what is it about the, um, the way you're approaching it now, how do you make sure that all of your senior leaders who report directly to you are doing the right things? Um, hmm. That's a kind of a broad question. Yes, so let, me, it is. let me think about it. So yes, I guess scope um, it down. <laughs> you know, one of the, the things I feel responsible for is um, as a leader of a IT leadership team is mm-hmm. to create a culture where we challenge each other. Okay. Um, and I can give you an example. It's like I, I feel that if I put an idea out there, I want my I need my team to challenge my idea because I think when we put all of our collective experiences together, mm-hmm. we're seeing the problem from different angles and we're solutioning from all 
different levels of experience. Yeah. So we make better decisions as a as a team. So I try to set yeah. that precedence. Um, when I take a new role, six months into it, I usually have HR come in and facilitate a conversation where I, <laughs> it's a tough day for me. I leave the room oh. and they talk about, you know, Shannon's leadership style because every team is different. Yes. And it's like, what would you start, stop or continue with her style so that mm-hmm. I understand what the team needs. And I can tell you, I've been in two different organizations. One was saying, we need more informal time together. And one was saying, okay, too much informal time. <laughs> it is very different. You Enough know. with the bowling parties and the <laughs> right. pizza, right? Like I got family to go to. So it's yeah. very different in each team. Yeah. Um, feels support in different ways. Um, they feel yeah. support. So understanding how they, what type of support they need from me and my role is mm-hmm. really important. So I have to show that I'm listening and open to feedback as much as I expect them to be open to feedback. Yeah, I talked with another CIO uh, a couple of shows ago and he uh, had the surprising discovery from one of those CIO out of the room kind yeah. of conversations that um, everybody felt that somehow that they needed to support his idea in some way so that he didn't actually realize they were supporting it. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was almost like a remote sucking up problem <laughs> that he was running in with, like, you know, like great idea boss. It came under that. So that can be really difficult yeah. because he said he would put his ideas out there and, uh, you know, and ask the team to shoot them down and they weren't re- using real bullets. Oh, I guess. So it's hard to do that because yeah. you know, you're essentially in the in the with everybody watching, but you have actually promoted uh, or you have brought along when you left AMAG, I think you mentioned three or four of the people that reported to you are CIOs now at other companies. They are. Um, And I think part of that is, um, I feel like one of my most important priorities as a CIO Mm -hmm. is to build the team to be ready to take my job in a heartbeat. Succession planning. Yeah. So succession planning is big. And and, um, part of the way I get there is uh, by restructuring the team to have almost um, sort of... uh, mini CIO roles good um, mm-hmm. where they have both the strategic responsibility uh, for strategic direction of that business area yes. but also the execution responsibilities or the okay. operational so yeah. they would have the structure itself would be they're responsible for sitting on the leadership team of that business unit yep. with a seat at the table helping to build the strategy but then also overseeing the resources that are executing on it um, and you know that builds exactly all the right skill sets for that they would need in the CIO role it just mm-hmm. happens to be cover more portfolio, uh, more portfolios. Great. Well, good. And that actually leads me um, very naturally to our next question. Let's talk a little bit more specifically about the size and scope of the tech team and how it is structured today to make all this this actual magic happen. <laughs> okay. Um, our IT team is about 350 people strong. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all over the globe. So our, our biggest presence are in um, places like the U.S., Costa Rica, Denmark, and the, and the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Um, we are structured in a way, uh, so we're a centralized IT organization supporting every area of the business. Um, the IT leadership team has three different uh, business relationship managers to cover off on the different types of businesses at Teradyne. So we have yeah. one that's focused on all things um, automated test or in the semi-space. Mm-hmm. We have one that's all on industrial automation and robotics. Um, and then another one that's focused on the corporate functions that are the service organizations to the rest of the, the business units. Sure. Um, and then next to that, we would have the enterprise architecture group. So the the 
group really responsible for the technology decisions, Mm -hmm. building a city map of what are the technologies going to help us grow and scale the company, Mm -hmm. um, and all moving towards that city map um, together in thoughtful decisions along the way. Good. Um, And then we have an infrastructure and operations group, which are all things sort of the IT operations, so your your help desk, your global account management, et cetera. Um, We have a a very strong, what we call IT business management office, which is sort Uh of the glue of the IT operating model. So Mm -hmm. it's all things IT governance, um, strategy planning. Um, It has our practitioners for project management. It's portfolio project and program management, um, financial management. It's all the Mm -hmm. things of the operating model, basically. Um, And what group? Oh, security. security. (laughs) I'm so in the weeds of security that sometimes I forget it full of it. So yeah, having an information security group that's not only responsible for enterprise security, but also um, helping with product security governance. Product security, that's right. And all that reports to you, all of information security. Do you have a, like a SOC, a security operations center? We do. Okay. Did you have to create it or was it in place when you got there? Um, We've had a hybrid model and Mm -hmm. we just recently made a couple switches within that um, to just strengthen it. But um, it's a hybrid model. I feel like that's the right thing for us right now. Okay, good. Because you can hire the outside, the really deep expertise that might be difficult to get. And grow and scale as as needed. Right. Okay, good, good, good. Um, The word governance came up a few times, and we haven't really delved into that very much. Uh, And I know you are, you've been interviewed about that, about your belief in strong IT governance and Mm. how it is so connected, interconnected into everything that successful CIOs do. Um, Talk about how you have approached that at Teradyne. What the, if if, if a CIO was asking you for, how do we really get started with governance that everybody's going to like or respect. Right. Because a lot of times you talk about governance and we used to try to do cover stories in CIO magazine about it. And yeah. everybody around the table, there's a bunch of editors and writers and their eyes would be crossing. They'd be like, <laughs> there's no good stories with governance, but there are, aren't there? Right. Well, I would just say no one likes the word governance. And in I fact, know. I remember us brainstorming and going, is there something else we could call it? Yeah, I'm like, no, it, at the end of the day, it actually is, is governance. It actually is. Because it sounds like bossiness or politics <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. But, it, you know, so seeing it well executed, you have a very, very much okay. an appreciation. You, you can get past the word governance. Yes. Um, but for me, mm-hmm. what governance is all about is cross-functional governance around all of the investments and the execution of mm-hmm. the portfolio of work, all things people, process, and technology. Yeah. So it's it's the leadership of not only the business units in terms of commercial resources, but it's like finance sitting at the table, IT understanding the technology, mm-hmm. all working together to really prioritize the different investments and projects going on across the board. Yeah. Um, our IT governance has us literally stack rank one to N all of the projects with the idea being it's always crystal clear what the priorities are of the leadership team. Okay. And if you're somebody that maybe you work in um, QA and you work across mm-hmm. projects in any moment where you're getting pulled in two different directions, you know exactly where to prioritize your time because the leadership team has made it crystal clear. Okay. So it, for me, it's always important to make sure you have that level of stack ranking. It's not always easy easy to get there um, to have that. But just having that in place um, helps us to make trade-off decisions a lot easier. Mm -hmm. When times get tough and your finances, well, okay, what's most important? And then things above and below the line are just easier decisions to be made so you can make decisions quicker.
quicker and okay. move faster. What are some of the key questions that when you're stack ranking, what are the questions you're answering as you're considering different projects? Yeah, so I think it's all about quantified benefits. Okay. Um, and, and we try to always have an apples apples comparison. That's another on these tough and, one, quantifying benefits. It is hard. Yeah. Um, and, and what we do mm-hmm. is make sure each one of those investments have a named business sponsor. Um, okay. That's, you know, going to own what those quantified yeah. benefits are. And yeah. the job of like a PMO or a business management office is to not only frame those up to do the comparison, mm-hmm. but on the other side of that, once it's executed, go back and measure, did you actually deliver on those benefits or not? And with a right. name sponsor responsible for, for you know, delivering on it. So that model seems to work pretty well in terms of transparency and accountability. Mm-hmm. And we focus on, you know, basically whether or not it's a growth-oriented project, um, efficiency or a risk project. That's usually our big categories. How do you handle it as the CIO? Because at some point, governance always gets a little politicized, where somebody in the company wants their project higher on the stack. So (laughs) I'm sure you have a way to deal with that. How do you approach that? Well, I I guess that's why I love the Teradyne culture so well, because I know how important it is for me to be successful in this role, is to have effective governance. And when you are Mm. a data decision-making company... (laughs) Things like that that becomes a lot easier, right? And you can get there faster. So I I do think our culture and our environment plays very well to having, you know, effective governance in place. That's nice. Uh, Well, you must, you probably have a lot of scientists in the company. Yeah, a lot of scientists, a lot of engineers. And they are very logical and data-driven. So you're lucky. They speak my language. They they do, (laughs) don't they? I know, the the mechanical engineering (laughs) language, yeah. Um, Let me see. We have some questions from our audience. Um, And this one, you know, this is up to you, but could you be more specific about one Gen AI app, we're back to Gen AI, that is in production and either generating revenue or or offering proven efficiencies? Maybe answering some of those stack questions on the, the way governance is done. Is there anything... And, and if you have to pass on it, understood. No, no, but, I, w- yeah. I would say I could answer in a couple. So the, the ones right, that are most beneficial to me right now are buried in our security products that are keeping our company safe right now. Oh, that's very so, good then, yeah. I mean, doing threat intelligence and things like that are all built into our operating model because our vendors that we rely on for our security controls mm-hmm. have built it into that product. So that is um, very, very relevant for me personally. And when I think about the broader organization, there are offerings like Bing Enterprise, which Mm -hmm. is probably at this stage not as mature as a chat GBT, but it's air gap. So you you know, employees can use that on a day to day basis Mm -hmm. without worrying about, you know, um, you know, major risk for IP or anything like that. So So that's it. So it may not be actually generating revenue, but it's avoiding damage. Yes. Yes. Yep. Which, and which it'll can be a it, lot more important. Yeah. Right. But it, you know, the the it's tapping into the brains and the and the productivity of our, you know, team members across Teradyne. Yes. yes. So. Are you finding when you have those conversations now with your different vendors, are there new or different questions you're asking them to make sure that they're on top of all of this? I mean, I know that vendor management is a huge part of being a very effective CIO. Yeah, I mean, I, I think our <laughs> Our list of security questions has grown. Okay. <laughs> I would say that's probably the biggest change. Um, mm-hmm. Outside of that, I would say understanding their product roadmaps and understanding okay. how they plan to leverage that and also protect us. So I think yes. those are the two areas where I dive a little more deeply with the vendors. And are you able to share your product roadmap, where things are going? And are you able to be as uh, open with 
the vendors as you're asking for, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we all mm-hmm. sign NDAs and, and whatnot. So I think okay. um, I look at our vendors as strategic partners uh, across yep. the board. So uh, we only both benefit by having an open dialogue. Yes. Another question, and this is a, a bigger, broader one as well, and at least it's not Gen AI, so we'll take a break <laughs> from that. How is the economy and capital constraints affecting your technology project priorities? Or is it affecting it? Because uh, I know the company is doing really well, so that may not be as much a front and center hmm. concern. I mean, in, ter- in, in terms of um, our revenue projections of the company, it is, you know, dependent on the semi-industry and consumer, like, mm-hmm. so half of the electronics out there has been tested by a Terradyne tester. So as mm-hmm. that market grows, so, so does Terradyne. So I think that's great. I think there's also on the robotics side, um, it depends on the level of investment on the different applications. So we use a lot of collaborative robots in different applications like that um, humans don't want to be as close to anymore, like welding. Mm-hmm. So as more and more companies embrace automation and we make it easier for them to do that, yep. um, you know, we see high growth on the other side of that. Okay. So yeah. you have not seen any kind of a dampening factor on any of the project. That's why I think I always ask about priority lists and what things are moving up or down on the list. It doesn't yeah. sound like a lot has moved down on your list. <laughs> Not a lot, but I mean, mm-hmm. we're a very, you know, our leadership team are great financial stewards of the company and we mm-hmm. know how to be very conservative and not overspend. You know, we're not a company that has had to release a number of employees because we over, you know, built right. the team because you say there are so many technology companies have done that. We're much yeah. more conservative. We, yeah. you know, try to play the long game and make sure that we're very thoughtful and conservative financially. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Good, good answer. Um, let's pivot over and talk about the priorities at the C-suite and the board level. Two of them that you and I talked about were the ESG, environmental, societal, and governance policies, yeah. and then diversity and inclusion issues, which I know are have always been very close to your own heart. So yeah. let's start with the um, in the DEI space first. Um, I just, I, I never like to drag out the numbers about, you know, I mean, when, when you look at the numbers of like science graduates, I mean, women are always losing those numbers. So, uh, so when you think about that and, and approach it, um, what is the, what are you doing at Teradyne? How is the company addressing it? And what gives you optimism and hope? for a future where we don't have to have conversations <laughs> about, you know, getting more women into IT, that right. sort of thing. I, and I would say one of the things that drew me to Teradyne is mm-hmm. their numbers weren't where they wanted them to be in terms of gender. And they were and, saying so. And it's a priority yeah. for them. So, Good. you know, they've taken a lot of really intelligent decisions to drive better representation across the company. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things they did is bring in McKinsey uh, to educate um, the leadership team. Um, I think we had over 100 people um, go through a three-month program and really understanding um, the problem that exists that's systematic and and preventing right. women from being more representative in different levels of the, the job okay. architecture. That's quite a commitment, a three-month program. It was a program. huge commitment. Yeah. But, you know, I think what, uh, what I appreciated, especially on the other side of it, was that um, you have all these engineers they now yes. understand the problem, and now you got a, a huge workforce all aimed at solutioning for it, yes. which is incredible. And I, you know, <laughs> I was one of the people that was on a task force to say, okay, based on all the things that we've learned and, and what the problems are, if you look at mentorship and sponsorship. Mm-hmm. 
how could we use that to help grow our representation, retain the talent that we do have, et cetera, and grow those, grow our, our mm-hmm. female population and, and beyond, yeah. um, you know, underrepresented groups. And, you know, our task force did internal research, asking all the different uh, internal research on the, mm-hmm. like what worked well or what people think. And yeah. then we did external research. So I actually was part of the team that went out and interviewed some of the companies in the Boston area mm-hmm. that are leading the charge in DEI. And one of the companies um, had this fantastic idea. They had been doing this for five years, but it was mentorship circles. And it was like a light bulb went off for us when we had this conversation because I've done um, mentorship, like formal programs. Mm-hmm. I had such a bad experience and I'm sure it's different program to program, but yeah. the one-on-one matchup wasn't <laughs> right for us. And then you're like, oh, I got to go through this for six months. And I'm, I know. You know, and I, I can't <laughs> speak up and say, please give me another I'm, mentor. I'm I don't trying. like this. This one. Yeah, exactly. What are you going to do? Yeah. So what I liked about this one, and they also talked about sponsorship and sponsorship is great, but it only hurt. It only helps a very small population of women. Yeah. Whereas mentorship, you can hit more women, but it doesn't always hit the mark. So what I liked about this was mentorship circles was it took two mentors Mm -hmm. for a subject area and paired it with anywhere from like four to seven women that all wanted to grow in a certain space. And it not only Mm -hmm. gave you a better shot of a good match with a mentor, because you know, you have two people to match with. Yep. But long after this program ends, you have a, a community of a support network, so to speak, yep. of like, you know, five to six other women that you can carry with you for the rest of your career. Because when you you connect in your day-to-day job on something outside of your day-to-day job, yes. something you're passionate about, you create these meaningful connections that last and serve you well in the in the future. So I love the idea. Turdine was all on board. Um, they did a six-month pilot last year. It was fantastic. Huge um, positive results on the other side and we are kicking off the the next version of it right now that is great because yeah. you know the ment- the mentorship circles what it reminds me of is the way people that get a chance to go to business school for their MBA yeah. they form one of those networks where they've got multiple company connections and all that outside yeah. but once you're deep into your career and maybe not necessarily going probably not a lot of engineers are interested in MBA programs yeah. right um, that's just it's a great way to do that at work right. uh, I've heard it also, um, ERGs, like the employee resource groups, do versions of that. Right. And I I think a lot of the ERG members, the people that are very passionate about, are helping be the core team that drives that program with sponsorship from everybody. But, you know, I I think it's also a great way for mentors, so you have your executive team members being exposed to women they might not run into in their day-to-day job. Mm -hmm. And when an opportunity comes up, they now can say, hey, maybe this individual would be good for that new job or new opportunity. So I think it helps women in many ways. Yeah. And when you say sponsorship, talk, talk about what what is different between a sponsorship and a mentorship to, to your mind and to your experience. Yeah. So mentorship is almost like coaching and yep. it, more situational leadership coaching and, and whatnot. I would say um, sponsorship is more like opening doors for people saying, you know, yeah. I'm going to put my name and reputation on helping, I don't know, yeah. Susan, um, you know, connect to this person that I know in my network and kind of opening doors right. and helping it's them very too. specifically helping them in their career yeah. by putting their name in and That's saying right. I vouch for this person right. that sponsorship and th- that should be what comes out of mentorship relationships I think it naturally right? does yeah. And it, yeah in the end of it um 
Let me see. The um, McKinsey program that uh, you went through, the three months, mm. is there a follow-on on that, or uh, is the ball in your court now? Well, I think Teradyne doing <laughs> in true Teradyne style, mm-hmm. we are using the data and the metrics of to course. help see our, what kind of progress we're making. So yeah. I think as we look at the numbers and look at the growth, I know my team specifically has grown significantly in underrepresented groups just mm-hmm. in the last year. So I think educating people with the metrics are really important. And I'll yeah. also say that um, I had the opportunity to meet with the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer of Service Now recently. And mm-hmm. they talked about also doing like campaigns around self-identification because I think um, hmm. there's a lot of people that have been in Teradyne for like decades, right? And yes. self-identifying wasn't a big deal back in those years. No, true. No. So, yeah. uh, you know, having people understand how that drives better metrics and better under- accuracy in your DEI numbers also is a, a big win for the company too. So I'd like to see more companies do that. That's great. Yeah. Um, well, and outside this, some of your, your board work, you're involved mm. in diversity and equity and inclusion. Uh, what has that been like? Tell us about your board position with the, it's the- Women's Money mm, Matters? Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's a fantastic organization and it, it really is serving so many women. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> Danielle, who's the uh, executive director, is amazing and, and driving so much change and so much more reach to women. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the idea being helping women become financially empowered. You know, it's like teaching someone to fish, yes. right? So it's meant to be long term. It's really mm-hmm. meant for people to get their feet underneath them. Um, and they're just, from, you know, I'm in it almost three years at this point yeah, on the board. Mm-hmm. It is you know, almost doubled in size. I mean, it's it's um, crazy growth. And I just feel like um, they have such a bright future in front of them. And they're just helping so many women. Yeah. Are they Boston based? How did they find you? So I think the reach is growing um, beyond mm-hmm. Boston, but it is mostly greater Boston area okay. was where it started. Um, but with remote um, access and things like that, the reach has gone beyond that. Yeah, yeah. that changed. Yeah. I'm actually surprised you're not being recruited yet for public board companies. Do you have, you don't serve on one right now? (laughs) I'm pretty busy right now with two boards and a full-time job. I I know, I know, but (laughs) only just one, just one Fortune 500 board we should add to it. Um, I feel like you'd have so much to contribute. Um, Let's talk about sustainableit.org. That's another board, a nonprofit board that you serve on. And that is, that's a little more esoteric. That's about technology leaders and what they can do for sustainable IT. So tell me about what drew you to that and what you would like to see that organization accomplish. Yeah, I think, you know, ESG is important, not only for the planet, um, but for company success, your customers' success. um, It's really important. And at the heart of all of that is trying to figure out how you're making progress against it. And it all comes down to data. And the CIO is in in that that, that hub spot looking across the whole company. So I think there's a natural fit for CIOs Mm -hmm. um, to be drawn into the ESG world. And it's SustainableIT.org has been fantastic in terms of developing standards so people can actually do effective and accurate reporting on ESG progress through through companies. So I think um, it's a collection of of CIOs that are all weighing in. You know, Mm -hmm. CIOs naturally have, uh, you know, data centers and things like that that Mm -hmm. draw power and things that you want to better manage going forward. So they play a role in, in that space. But I think at the end of the day, they're most involved now because they're driving the data that's going to help drive sustainable um success. 
Yes, yes. I was thinking there's a very practical side yeah. where, you know, with the, and you're working on that already in technical debt and yes. reducing that. But um, I, one of the members of that I talked with was saying that it's not, a lot of times people may think that, oh, well, we have, uh, we, we use someone else's data center. We've outsourced the problem. But that's actually also generating yeah. a lot of carbon footprint. And but that you sort of thing. now uh, incorporating that into your vendor management, your vendor selection process yeah. is that those become questions you start asking now that you oh, didn't maybe interesting, before. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you know, I wanted to, uh, so we do have another question from our alert audience. <laughs> if you don't mind circling back to AI again. Um, <laughs> Uh, talk. You had mentioned that one of the areas where you're seeing real success and um, are optimistic about in cyber hmm. with um, AI and Gen AI built in. But uh, where beyond the cybersecurity realm is our AI capabilities most important? for Teradyne and for your tech strategy? Yeah, I would say that um, the space where it's low risk, early benefit is probably on the service organization. So, okay. you know, whether you have products out in the field, the service organization can build in AI capabilities for search mm -hmm. um, in a natural language type of fashion fairly easily with almost no risk to it. Okay. So I'd say standing that up is a short-term kind of uh, goals for, I would think, most companies. All right, good, good. Yeah. And I know when we were talking about talent, and we, you mentioned it, and then we skated forward with some other questions, but it was about the, the skills that you're seeking most of now. What are your biggest needs in talent? And if, we, if they happen to be some incredibly talented folks in that realm listening to us now, <laughs> what sort of, what kind of skill sets and what sort of levels are you looking for right now to hire? Well, I would say I've always um, looked at talent in, in terms of hiring athletes. So I want someone, because technology moves so fast, I want mm -hmm. somebody that can adapt, change, a constant learner, um, but specifically skill gaps in the data science space and AI, machine learning, all of those are very relevant mm -hmm. and building those into the team are going to set the team up for success. Okay. And when you say athletes, you don't mean engineers who take part in, you know, 5K races. You don't necessarily mean engineering athletes. Yeah, no, I definitely no. do not. I mean, that helps with leadership capabilities, maybe, sure, but that um, could be great. But, but just, you know, people mm -hmm. that can um, flex and adjust, and, you know, no ah, matter what situation you put them in, they can adapt to it and yes. take the like solid leadership skills and apply it to whatever situation they're in or whatever role they're in. Okay, good, good. Um, Final question, and didn't I tell you this hour would fly by? Um, what have you learned about your own leadership style in these last few years, coming into a company, a new industry for you, and uh, as the pandemic was still pretty much bubbling along at a, at a high boil, even back then, there probably were things you had to change or adjust or expand, and just curious what those are. Hmm. I would say probably three things. I would say the first thing um, originally started with somebody give me some really bad advice in my career. And, oh. you know, they're like, for you to be successful, you need to act like a man. <laughs> and, okay. And compartmentalize, uh, I can never say that word, yeah. um, your personal life and right. your work life. Don't have pictures of your kids no, at work. Because they, they don't want to see you as a mom. They need to see you as a leader and, yes. and whatnot. So I, I would say that was probably the worst advice I ever had. What that <laughs> led me to. That's Great question. I'm going to add that to my question list from now on. What's the worst advice you ever got? Yeah. 
And that was like, take up room in a conference room. And, and yes. I was like, that's not me. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'll pass on that. But uh, <laughs> what I would say is, um, for me, it was, you know, learning to show up as your authentic self. You know, ah. say what you mean, mean what you say, and do what you say you're going to do. And okay. I, there's a level of credibility that comes with that. And there's a level of trust that you build pretty easily with people if that's how you operate. And I feel mm-hmm. like trust accelerates success. And, and, and that's critical. I would okay. say the second thing is a continuous learner. Um, technology mm. moves fast. You can't be successful in this role if you're stuck back in a decade ago. Um, no. You really have to learn and, and grow um, as a person, just as you expect the rest of the team to do the same. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing I'm going to mention is something that actually came from our CEO, Greg Smith. Um, at one point, he uh, recommended a book to me. It was Machiavelli for Women. And you know, it was one of those books mm-hmm. you just couldn't put down. But it also talked about the unique challenges that women face in the workforce. And it's something that I continue to you know, sort of broadcast to other women. I found it very helpful in my own life, whether yeah. it's women almost um, need to negotiate a little differently and, and whatnot. Yes. I, think, I think it was kind of um, taking a realistic look at the world and how to be successful. So, you know, I love that book. And if others are out there, men, women, I, I highly mm-hmm. recommend reading it. Well, especially for male leaders who would like to get the women leaders yes. on their team to step up more send everybody a Kindle version of yes, it or something, absolutely. right? Wow. You won't regret I've, it. I have, uh, I, how long ago has it been, how long has it been around? I've never heard of I this one. No, don't <laughs> even know. Yeah. I remember <laughs> years ago when I was taking on my very first management jobs yeah. and in publishing companies, uh, there's not really any training or anything. You just get thrown into a role. And I remember uh, reading a book called Swim with the Dolphins. Huh. And it was more about women's leadership in terms of collaborating and kind of uh, taking advantage of the natural abilities or tendencies women have to just get everybody getting along and that yeah. sort of thing. But that is not something I would have associated with Machiavelli. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a fascinating read. I'll bet it is. Yes. I, it's absolutely going to be on my list coming <laughs> up next. And I'll do one more check. Uh, there is another question. All right. What advice? Oh, what advice would you offer to aspiring CIOs in how you see the CIO role evolving in the years ahead? That's an excellent question. Thanks to our audience. Yeah, mm. I would say um, for me, you know, it used to be that this awful term of like shadow IT. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're really vested in your company being successful, you need technologists in the business. You know, yeah. everyone, all of us need to be tech savvy and embracing that, finding where we have really strong talent that mm-hmm. can drive positive change and working very collaborative, uh, co- collaboratively. I like collaborative. <laughs> That's <laughs> kind of nice. Up. That's <laughs> a good word. <laughs> yeah. Um, together to you really achieve a positive outcome. Yeah. Excellent. Very good question and really very good answer. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank for, you for having me. Yes, for coming into our offices here in Needham. It's been wonderful having, it's such a different energy, I think, when you have, <laughs> you know, that that back and forth, right, in person. So I really appreciate you making the time. If you joined us late today, do not despair. You can see the full episode of my conversation with Shannon here on LinkedIn throughout the day, but also on CIO.com and on CIO's YouTube channel. 
CIO Leadership Live is also available as an audio podcast wherever you find your podcasts. And I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with CIO Shannon Gath of Teradyne as much as I did. We'll be back again in two weeks on Wednesday, October 11th at noon Eastern, when I'll be talking with Matt Lasmanis, who is the Chief Technology and Innovation Officer at Sage Therapeutics, a brain health biotech company. I know personally I expect to find out all kinds of useful information in that conversation. Thanks so much for tuning in today, and a special thanks to our half a dozen very active audience members who helped us in the conversation by sending along some great questions of your own. Do take a moment to subscribe to CIO's YouTube channel, which is called CIO's YouTube channel, and where you can find all 100 plus previous episodes of CIO Leadership Live. Take care out there, and we'll see you back here in two weeks. Thanks.